NPR. Any day now, the Supreme Court is expected to announce its decision in a pair of really big cases. They involve two schools, Harvard College and the University of North Carolina. And the main question here is whether public and private colleges can consider a student's race when they're deciding whether to admit them. Now, legal analysts are in pretty much agreement on this, that the court is going to come out and say no, that considering race in admissions violates the Civil Rights Act and the Constitution. And if it rules that way, that will abolish affirmative action in college admissions across the country. This is The Indicator from Planet Money. I'm Adrian Ma. What effects would the Supreme Court's decision have for students, schools, and even our economy? For clues, we can actually look at California, where affirmative action has already been banned at public schools for 25 years. We'll get into it after the break. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Babson College. The world needs entrepreneurial leaders, and you can become one at Babson College. Gain the skills to lead, motivate, and inspire through a specialized master's or MBA program with full-time, part-time, and online options. Turn ideas into action with a graduate program that caters to your professional needs and fits your lifestyle. Ranked number one in entrepreneurship by U.S. News and World Report. Apply now at babson.edu slash gradprograms. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Certified Financial Planners. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, Certified Financial Planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Zach Bleemer is an economist at Yale who studies college admissions. And just to set the table, I asked him to start off by defining what we mean when we talk about affirmative action. So affirmative action is a very general admissions practice in which university admissions offices provide preferences on the basis of applicants' ethnicity and thereby increase enrollment primarily among Black, Hispanic, and Native American students. What policy wonks often call underrepresented minority students. And for schools, the goal of doing this is to create a more racially diverse student body. And it's worth mentioning that this is really just an issue for the so-called selective schools. Not just your Ivy Leagues or whatever, but any school that gets a lot more applicants than they can actually admit. It's used in something like 25 states, public university systems, and in hundreds of private universities across the country. At the same time, nine states, including California, have banned affirmative action in their public university systems. Now, Zach says for schools that do use it, an applicant's race or ethnicity can really make a difference in their chances of admitting different applicants. So imagine kids who have roughly a 1,300 SAT score out of 1,600 and a high school GPA like like a 3.8 on a four-point scale, a quite good high school GPA. You'll have many universities where students with those scores and grades, if they are white, are very unlikely to be admitted to the university, whereas if they're Black or Hispanic, are very likely to be admitted to the university. And that's going to vary for each school, but uh, these admissions advantages can be considerable. Now, affirmative action really began to take hold at schools in the 1960s. Some were inspired by the civil rights movement. Others were pushed to do it by student protests. 
And it was during this time that California schools began to take up the policy as a way to increase racial diversity on campus. And Zach says for years, it worked. So consider the freshman class that came into Berkeley and UCLA, the two most selective public universities in California, in 1997. Around the state, something like 27 or 28 percent of high school graduates were either Black or Hispanic, and about 26 percent of students coming into Berkeley or UCLA were Black or Hispanic. Uh, Their student body, at least in terms of race, roughly reflected the high school graduating class. But 1997 was the last year that would be true. Because just the year before, California voters voted to ban affirmative action at public universities. So by 1998, public universities in California could no longer consider race as a factor in admissions. And not long ago, Zach decided he just had to study this. So this seemed like a goldmine to me just to study the relative ramifications of going to more selective universities for more and less disadvantaged students, those targeted or not targeted by race-based affirmative action programs. A natural experiment. Exactly. The end of affirmative action was a large-scale statewide natural experiment. Take those two cohorts of kids, the 97 and the 98 cohorts, follow them for 15 or 20 years, and see what happens to them. And to see what happened to them... Zach got his hands on a whole bunch of anonymized data about these two groups of students, those who applied to college before the ban and those who applied after. And in this data, there was all kinds of information about applicants' race, where they got accepted or rejected, and even years later, how much they were making in income. So Zach did a deep dive into this data set, and when he surfaced, he came away with three main findings. So first... He found the immediate effect of ending affirmative action in California was a huge drop in the number of underrepresented minority students attending the most selective public universities. So, for example, in 1998, Berkeley and UCLA enrolled 40 percent fewer black and Hispanic and Native American freshmen than they did just a year earlier. And Zach says this triggered a further cascading effect. Affirmative action ends. And Black, Hispanic, and Native American students, on average, go to slightly less selective schools. White and Asian students, meanwhile, on average, get to go to slightly more selective schools, taking the slots of these Black and Hispanic students who had lost access to those places. So that was the immediate effect of the ban. Students from underrepresented backgrounds who might have gotten into that top-tier school just a year before wound up at less selective schools, like UC San Diego or UC Irvine. But Zach's analysis did not stop there. His second finding looked at the long-run implications of all this shifting around. If you follow these students forward into the labor market, the typical student who, because of the end of affirmative action, had a little bit less access to more selective universities, ended up earning about 5% less than they would have earned if they'd had access to more selective universities through race-based affirmative action. And that 5% decline in earnings, by the way, Zach figures that was an average decline of about two and a half, maybe $3,000 a year. And interestingly, this did not happen to the white and Asian students that he was following who got rejected from that top super selective tier of colleges. In most cases, he says the white and Asian students experienced no decline or, or maybe just a very slight decline in their future earnings. And Zach thinks this may be because those white and Asian students generally came from backgrounds where they could get into and afford a private university education. 
And it may also be that the Black and Hispanic students, on average, came from less privileged backgrounds. And they just had more to gain from the education and the networks that were available to them at these schools. And so for at least this set of reasons and potentially others, it looks like access to more selective universities was just fundamentally more valuable to the Black and Hispanic students targeted by race-based affirmative action than it would have been for the white and Asian students who ultimately took their place after affirmative action was banned. I think one thing that's worth emphasizing here is this clearly isn't true for every single student. There are many Black and Hispanic students who come from high-income backgrounds that are very networked. There are many low-income white and Asian students who don't have that network. What I'm saying is just on average, Black and Hispanic students who gained access through affirmative action were driving substantially above average gains compared to the students who replaced them. They got more bang for their buck. Exactly. I think the best that I can say is, you know, social justice issues aside, so forgetting questions of equity, if your goal is just to maximize economic efficiency, just to identify an admissions policy that will spur economic growth, identify students who will be able to best take advantage of university resources, earn the highest wages, pay back the most in tax dollars, and otherwise succeed using a university's resources. That's what affirmative action did. Affirmative action increased the total size of the economic pie of California universities. And so you can increase the total size of the pie by allocating seats to kids who were best able to take advantage of them. At least it did that before affirmative action was banned. And if the Supreme Court declares affirmative action illegal, Zach predicts we're going to see a nationwide version of what happened in California. An immediate drop in enrollment for Black, Hispanic, and Native American students at highly selective schools. And in the longer run, over the next decade or so, an increase in what is already a pretty sizable income gap between white and Asian graduates of college and Black, Hispanic, and Native American grads. Now, these may not be the outcomes that any particular school or politician or judge wants to see happen, but if history is any guide, it is what we are likely to see. This episode was produced by Corey Bridges and engineered by Catherine Silva. It was fact-checked by C.R. Juarez. VLA is our senior producer. Cake and Cannon edits the show. And The Indicator is a production of NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Greenlight. Want to teach your kids financial literacy? With Greenlight, kids and teens use a debit card of their own, while parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and savings in the app. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. This spring, cleaning up your wireless bill is easy thanks to Mint Mobile. Right now, Mint Mobile has unlimited talk, text, and data plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. To get this new customer offer, go to mintmobile.com slash indicator. $45 upfront payment required for first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. On Wildcard, the new podcast from NPR, you'll hear people like comedian Jenny Slate reflect on their lives. What is something you think about very differently today than you did 10 years ago? Dressing. Like, not salad dressing. I've always loved it and I'll never stop. <laughs> dressing my body. That's all part of the new game show, Wildcard, only from NPR. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.